G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision. Well, let's turn our attention today to our emotional and mental well-being. We're in an age where mental health is being disrupted by rising anxiety, isolation and depression. You may have heard in the news some of these uh, symptoms related to the longer-term impacts of the COVID-19 pandemic. And then there are the big changes coming with rising inflation, interest rates, electricity and petrol and the increasing pressure on our family budgets. We might wonder if our mind can play tricks on us when we're faced with fear, division and alarmism. At a glance at the news headlines, uh, can can lead us to believe that hope is evaporating quickly. As interest rates rise, the cost of living increases, the pressure's on for some like never before. Well, as a Christian, you'll appreciate there must be some tools in our tool chest that help us get through difficult times. The Bible's not silent on facing difficult circumstances, and there are bigger dimensions in play when we're connected to the all-knowing, all-powerful God. Dr. Nathaniel Costia is a pastor, a strategist, a futurist, and an emotional intelligence coach. He leads Menorah Church in Perth and is joining us. Nathaniel, a special welcome back to 2020. Good to be here, Neil. Wonderful uh, um, day to, to be alive. And even though the interest rates went up yesterday again, I think there's, there's uh, hope in the future. <laughs> uh, we'll be talking about hope. And uh, for listeners today, some will be feeling the impacts more than others. Uh, but that hope might be a very important element in how we negotiate and navigate our way through these tougher times that are on us right now. Hey, Nathaniel, the rise in mental health issues, this is something you've been monitoring closely. Uh, when others around us don't take our symptoms seriously, uh, you know, somehow or other we feel even more isolated. But what are your thoughts about the rise of mental health issues today? Well, it is real. Uh, uh, subconsciously or consciously, we need to have the awareness that many people have uh, been uh, affected mentally, especially post-COVID now, after COVID, uh, segregation, loneliness, um, for some loss of jobs, the vax, non-vax, uh, the fear of the vaccine, the fear of the uh, disease. Uh, some people have lost their loved ones. Uh, so a lot of things have happened in the last two years. And now we also have the interest rates going up, you know, the inflation. So nevertheless, these are affecting people uh, both young and old mentally. And um, yeah, mental illness is on the rise in Australia, and uh, both in rural and in the city, and uh, people are becoming more aware of it. I think sometimes uh, the ladies are better than us boys at this. They, they pick it up. They see the cues uh, a lot earlier. I just spoke to a good friend of mine yesterday, and he was very sick uh, about four weeks ago, incapacitated by uh, a virus that came through 
And he said, Nathaniel, in that time, I haven't spoken this and I haven't shared this with anybody. This is four weeks after the disease has gone. He said, I became suicidal. And this this was a healthy man with absolutely no uh, indication that he was uh, going through a, a difficult period. But he said, I actually felt suicidal. I had suicidal thoughts. And, uh, you know, he, he called it the spirit of death came upon me in, some, um, in his understanding. So it is real. And uh, there are tools to equip ourselves. And there is a level of awareness that we can have to gauge what's going on in our lives. It is disturbing, isn't it, uh, when uh, this friend of yours, who may be like a lot of people, just having some ongoing effects from illness, experiencing things they've not felt before, uh, their fatigue, their energy's gone, uh, they're thinking not as rationally, and as you say, uh, people are thinking suicidal thoughts, Uh, just because they've got a longer-term illness. Uh, Just this week, the Parliament has launched a new inquiry into the health, social, educational and economic impacts of long COVID and repeated COVID infections, and uh, they'll be doing that inquiry through the House Health Committee. So in one sense here, I'm not sure whether you're aware of what's developing there, but the government is recognising there's a really big major problem here and they're trying to get to the root of uh, how that causes uh, the causes there and how they might address it. Uh, so it's not just something that uh, is coming out of the blue from a few odd Christian uh, thinkers about these things, but yes, the government's very concerned. That's right, and uh, they should be because I think they... Uh have neglected it for a while. They, I think they didn't weigh the costs, the long-term effect on the lockdowns, and um, they wanted to prevent us from the disease, but in long term, they probably caused, uh, you know, collateral damage that could have, uh, you know, consequences for decades to come. I think what's important is, uh, you know, I think the emotional intelligence aspect of uh, human behavior has come to the forefront more so in the last 20 years. Um, In the Christian circle, it was addressed by, but under a different banner, mind renewal, mind, uh, you know, keeping your mind safe and, uh, you know, rising above the storm. But uh, now in mental illness, we talk about emotional intelligence. Emotional intelligence has to do with uh, your... uh, uh, ability to be in tune with yourself and in tune with others. So in tune with yourself is uh, being able to have self-awareness and self-management. Now, self-management we can quite easily um, accomplish because there are some steps that you can follow in, step, in, in the self-management, some discipline steps, and everybody engages in that very well. But in self-awareness, this is the most difficult part of emotional intelligence to teach somebody because they either get it or they don't get it. If you don't have awareness, how can I teach you awareness? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So the only way we can really teach awareness is through paying attention, teaching people to be attentive, to, to monitor what goes on in their life and to monitor their emotions, the roller coaster a situation in their life and to see what triggers on the, what triggers these emotions what takes them off why are they down in the morning why if they watch the news that puts them off uh, when do they feel down do they feel down in the morning do they feel down in the evening do they feel down when they um, read something or when 
watch something or when they hear something or, you know, what affects their emotions? Do, can they label the emotions? Is it anger? Is it upset? Uh, how well do they know what's going on in their lives? And then, obviously, if you start developing that self-awareness, then you can do something about it. You can manage things. You say, okay, if the news puts me off, maybe I shouldn't watch the news or, or I just watch the, highlight, uh, the you know, highlights and that's it. You know, watching the news for an hour could really trigger some awful emotions and fear into me and anxiety. So the best thing is not to watch the news. Um, and uh, maybe listen to it on radio, but <laughs> no, that either. So you learn to manage those things. You know, if you're in an environment, let's say at work, where you become anxious or you can't do your work, and that triggers those emotions, the difficult emotions, maybe that environment is not healthy for, for you. So, you know, pull out of those tension environments that trigger those emotions that unsettle you. And gradually you learn to to manage them. And then you can move to the other aspect of social, uh, to, to emotional intelligence, which is the social part, social awareness and relationship management. Again, social awareness is a skill that is hard to gain, but wonderful once you understand that being around people is wonderful and being with people is the way we were created to be. So we people, we need to be around people and in fact we get recharged when we are around people and that's where we have the opportunity to talk to others Nathaniel are you still with us yes I'm back all right something uh, something dropped out but uh, but look we'll take some calls very shortly uh, but what I was going to uh, introduce into our conversation is that while we're talking about uh, social awareness and emotional intelligence, uh, these things are wonderful. But the Christian believer, while we might appreciate all of that fabulous social science that goes into understanding those dimensions, uh, we've got some extra tools in our tool chest. Uh, we've got the all-knowing, all-powerful God on our side, and that brings a huge extra dimension. I wonder if you've got a thought or two in uh, God in the situation so far as our emotions and our uh, social awareness goes. I want to quote what Peter said, the apostle, in First Peter one thirteen. He said, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I mean, look at this, preparing your mind for action, being sober-minded. So there's, there's an awareness that we can prepare for. We, we have the tools, we have the hope in Christ, but it's almost like be prepared for anything that comes your way. You can gird the lions of your, uh, of your mind, of, your, of, of, of the center of your being, your mind, will, and emotions, which is your soul and be ready for any challenge that comes your way. Uh, and I, I have a saying which says, emotions report to you, not you to them. The emotions that we experience should be uh, our gauge of what's going on in our life, not our guide. So they should give us a gauge, they should be an instrument to measure what's going on in the situation, but they shouldn't be the guide. Because pleasure is the measure of your treasure. Uh, Emotions should be a gauge that tells you what you love. They shouldn't guide you in what you love.
if that makes sense. A wonderful dimension you're bringing here. Sometimes we're on the back foot and defensive, and we'll quote all sorts of scriptures. You know, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything in by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. But what you're saying here is, uh, you know, you're on the front foot. You're preparing for the hard times that you know are waiting at the door. And uh, there's a powerful challenge in that. And I imagine that if you are in the preparing mode on the front foot, uh, you're not going to be taken by surprise and your emotions can be kept in check. Hey, we're taking calls on 1-800-316-316. Let's take a call from Bernadette, who is in Kingston in South Australia. Hi, Bernadette. Welcome along. Hi, Neil. Look, yes, I was just singing to the program about mental health and I just want to say what's helping me and our little community, I'm involved in a mental health support group. Um, every month we have a meeting and we just support each other and we talk about issues that are bothering us. And last week we had people from AC Care come and talk to us about how we can support people and, and what the services are that can help them through this difficult challenge. And and so, yeah, we just, if someone's having a rough week, we just sort of take note and we visit that person or we're just having a difficult time, we're just there for him. I'm also involved in the suicide support group, um, helping people that are going through those crises. And we've got a show coming up and, and different things like that. So we're actively involved just being if people need someone to talk to. We've got tomorrow with our counsellor, we've got a, a sausage sizzle, are you okay? And so... Yeah, our council is very involved here in this little community, reaching out to people with those crises. And last week we had a women's health and wellbeing um, and we had speakers come and talk about those things and things that are helping people and things that are difficult. So it's making a big difference having a council that's very supportive and our little t- and our, the groups that we're involved in reaching out into our little community and helping people who are falling through the cracks. Uh, Bernadette, who's running that group? Who's running what group, sorry? The, the ones, uh, so your mental health support groups, are these being sponsored oh, by the council? Is your local, it's your local church? Uh, well, the thing is the mental health support group is run by Christians, right, yep. who are working together. We, we meet in a church, in a building that's off the church, and we the, our minister supports what we're doing, and we just come from different churches and come along and, and we just, um, and, and other people who are having a difficult time, anyone's, welcome to come along and talk about what's bothering him. We have speakers sometimes, we, people talk about what's bothering him and we just we just sort of be there for those people, yeah. Bernadette, what a wonderful, wonderful thing that you're doing and that's a great initiative and uh, let's get a thought or two from Nathaniel uh, for the way the rubber hits the road with what you're doing, Bernadette. Nathaniel, your thoughts? Yeah, I... Uh the, the the slogan that I want to throw out there to everybody listening to us, and I wish this was on a banner on every street corner, is you are not alone. You are not alone. There is support around you. There are people around you. What you're going through, um, others have gone through. You there's, there's so much support all around if you're looking for it. But at, at the same time, those of us who are a little bit, let's say, uh, more blessed on our, on our journey is also to see the needs that are out there and to pick and to have the spiritual discernment. If we see somebody in a service station or along the path in need, 
reach out to them in uh, a small a small gesture can can make a huge difference and we i i just pray that we have that social awareness to see the needs around us and we answer their needs Bernadette in Kingston in South Australia, thank you so much. A great contribution. And our talkback line remains open on 1-800-316-316. You might have your own insight to offer. You might have a, uh, a question. You might have a comment. You might even have a cry for help and a good opportunity today to be talking through issues around our emotions, our mental well-being and uh, tying these two things together because the long-term impacts of COVID, Nathaniel, uh, now combined with these deepening economic pressures, uh, rising cost of living and all of these other challenges that some people have not even experienced before, uh, that compounds the difficulty, doesn't it? Absolutely. And it's so easy to fall into a victim mindset and say, you know, I am the victim of COVID, I am the victim of a lockdown, a victim of circumstances, a victim of life. And this victim mentality is going to have a direct impact on the quality of our perspective. Our perspective on life, maybe that life is unfair or that every human being is a victim to the government, to the family or whatever. If our identity is immersed in victimhood, our perspective will be affected accordingly. And our perspective gets fueled by the thoughts that we have. Perspective influences the quality of our thoughts. So in our thoughts, what do we do? We gather evidence on why our perspective is accurate. So if I'm a victim of COVID, I will gather all the evidence why my situation is the way it is. So if I believe I'm a victim, I will be busy in gathering all the evidence in my thoughts why that is true. Because remember, we want to be as consistent as, as, consistent as possible to our self-notion or self-concept. So if my identity is one of victim, my perspective will be on how this world is unfair and how life is unfair. And therefore, the quality of my thoughts, which are an extension of my perspective, will be influenced by that. Therefore, my thoughts, themes, the things that I focus on are a reflection of that perspective. Because I need more evidence to create that consistency to view myself somewhere in this world. And that gives me the emotional state that I feel most in my life. And that could be quite sad. So everything comes back, Neil, to the sense of identity that I have. If my identity is healthy, if I have a solid self-esteem, if I love who I am and, the re- and I respect who I am, then I have a healthy view of that perspective of everything around me. So I don't see myself as a victim. If I have a healthy identity, my perspective will be riddled in appreciation, in beauty, in gratitude, in contentment. My thoughts will gather evidence as to why I should be grateful, appreciative for the world, my life. Then my thoughts will be healthy, meaning that all my experience in life is healthy. My emotional state, therefore, will be pretty good. So everything... To be emotionally fit, everything starts, or the centerpiece of emotional fitness is our identity. And our identity is very, very powerful because that is how we see ourselves. And that's where it all springs up out of that identity. So many listeners, if they're a part of a local church, if they sit in a church on a Sunday and they've heard preachers preach, 
they will have heard these sorts of things addressed and perhaps not as clearly as what you're describing today, Nathaniel, is just wonderful. But we talk about having an identity in Christ. In other words, an identity not shaped by the things of this world, which will lead us into these sorts of victimhood issues if we're under those sorts of pressures, but our identity in Christ, which is a victory, not victim. Uh, Thoughts here on how you make that alignment uh, into that identity in Christ. Yeah, so how do we get our identity? So the tendency in the world is to achieve your identity. You do this course and you get this uh, uh, diploma. You learn this trade, you get this job. You finish this, you get this title. You wear this, you'll be one of us. You climb up this ladder, you will get to the top. You go through these 11 steps, you find yourself. But how did you get your name, Neil? It was given to you by your parents. Your most important aspect about your identity, which is your name, was not achieved by you, but was given to you. Interesting that today everybody's saying you need to find yourself, you need to discover yourself, you need to know who you are. Well, Christianity is different to all of these other worldviews. Why? Because it says your identity is given by God. It's not achieved by you. In 1 John 3, 1, it says, See the kind of love God has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and just in case we don't get it, and that is what we are, he says. So take this identity and let that govern your perspective. You're a child of God. God is the identity giver. He gave identity to Adam, first man that he ever created. And then he gave Adam the task to give identity to all the animals and even to his wife. He gave him, he, he gave him this mantle to give identity. So Adam became an identity giver because he received his identity from God. Only from a place of healthy and true identity could he give that identity. When we are born in this world, we get our identity from our fathers. We get the, their name, son of. So if you're Dutch, you get Van Basten, the son of Basten. If, if you're, uh, you know, you've got the Max in English or in Irish, son of. So basically, in many cultures in the world, you, be, you would be like, my name is Nathaniel Costia. I would be the son of Costia. I would carry on the identity of my forefathers. When we get born again, we get a new identity from God with a new mantle and responsibility. Remember Simon. Simon gets a new identity with a new name from God. God call, uh, Jesus calls him Peter. And on his testimony, Jesus builds the church. Now, Peter could never achieve that identity. The identity from Simon to Peter to the rock that the church will be founded on, the, uh, the testimony of Peter, That identity is far greater than any other identity Peter could have achieved on his own under the name of Simon. So do you see how important the identity receives? And that's why Australia is so hampered by this, because we are the most fatherless nation, and fathers don't give identity to their sons and daughters. And this is where the missing link is. If a father receives his identity from God, he can pass on that identity to his sons and daughters, And that is their inheritance. So we are called to get our identity from God. And then we are called to be identity givers to our wives and our children. Do you see the fatherhood pattern, how all goes hand in hand? We just celebrate the Father's Day on Sunday. But this is so big in God's context. Everything springs out from that 
God the Father and the identity giver. Let's just touch on some of those things about what it is to appropriate this identity that you're talking about. We want to be on the front foot, not on the back foot. We don't want to be caught in victimhood. We want to be victorious. And uh, that sounds like, uh, you know, it could be a nice little throwaway saying, but this is the reality for the Christian believer. I wonder if you've got some thoughts here on how we appropriate this identity so that we can be guarded and protected from some of the negativity that comes with hard times. Any thoughts here? Yeah, so we spoke about identity, and uh, with identity, I'm not who I think I am. Nor am I who you think I am, but I am who God thinks I am. In fact, I am who I think God thinks I am. I am who I see myself in the eyes of God. I can only get a true sense of identity when I get to know God. The more I get to know God, the more I find myself in Him. So that is on identity. Now, practically, how does identity work out? Well, first of all, we we have to have the right perspective. So we can have a common perspective, which is the world view of the world, or a higher perspective. Romans 12, 2, and uh, if you're in a Christian circle, you are familiar with this verse. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So basically, we are invited not to copy the worldview or the perspective of the world or the behavior and customs of this world, but to allow God to transform us into a new person, be very attentive here, by changing the way we think. There's something in our mind. So we are spirit, soul, and body. And the soul is made up of our mind, will, and emotions. And in the mind is where we make the decisions. And God wants us to stop imitating the ideals and opinions of the culture around us, but inwardly in our mind to be transformed by the Holy Spirit through a total reformation of how we think. And as a son or daughter of God, we can, if we want to, God's perspective on just about anything that we can, go, we, we can in, anticipate or go through in life. So we can supernaturally discern the will of God on any matter by having the mind of Christ. You know, the Bible, uh, the Apostle Paul said that we can have the mind of Christ. So my thoughts, the question now is practically, when I have this narrative going on in my head, Are those my thoughts on the matter or his thoughts on the matter? Am I with my unreformed mind and transformed mind or am I thinking his way with his perspective? Have I been renewed today through whatever happens, whether I read the gospel, I had a devotional, I had a prayer. Am I continually renewing myself? Or am I happy that 20 years ago when I gave my life to the Lord, I had a renewed mind, and since then nothing has happened? Because we are on a journey. We're always striving for more. And our mind renewal should be a daily thing. We should ask ourselves, what of the mind of Christ am I getting in today? How is my perspective being raised up to his perspective, his God view rather than the world view? 
am I allowing myself to see things from his perspective or from my perspective and the world perspective? Which is on the upscale? Which is the mindset that I choose? We need to awaken to this reality that we can choose to have the mind of Christ on any matter that comes our way. We can tap in. He is actually willing to share his mind with us. And then the meaning that we give to any situation is a meaning that is heavenly. Paul said, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, everything has become new. We're a new species. There's a new element of our lives that now uh, we, 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 we can tap into. We can tap into something which is divine, into his thoughts, and then we can give meaning to the situation, to the narrative that we tell ourselves and others based on who God is and what he says. Because life is not so much about us. In fact, it's more about him. And I think the two greatest abilities that we can master here on earth are, number one, the ability to let go of our old mindset, and the ability to allow God to renew our mind. Nathaniel, let's talk about just how difficult that might be for some. Uh, because if we're talking about, you know, ongoing effects, some are experiencing, you know, those symptoms of long COVID, uh, and uh, they're experiencing the deepening economic impacts uh, where there's a risk of losing a house and not being able to repay a mortgage. Some people will be feeling physically sick. Uh, others might even have that sort of, you know, I heard somebody say the other day, a, a constant butterflies in my stomach gripped by fear about these things that are coming upon me and I'm, I'm having difficulty holding things together. So when we're talking I about this that. renewal of the mind and an ongoing progressive uh, understanding of where we're going, how does that affect our physical symptoms? Yes, I think, you know, I respect that. People are going through many, many difficult situations, and it's never easy. Well, Jesus said, therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So you're not allowed to be anxious about tomorrow. In fact, it is illegal for me as a Christian to be anxious about tomorrow. The only concession that I get is that I can feel anxious for today, but not for the future. So it's illegal for us to worry about tomorrow. We can only worry about today. If you want to worry, you can only worry until sunset, and that's it. You worry about tomorrow if you value your ego. If you let the ego-driven world capture you, yes, in the flesh you will worry. But in the resurrected life, with resurrected faith, you, we are called to lose our life every morning and win it again. We are resurrected to a brand new life every day. Your narratives is then what God says, not what the media says, not the bank account says, not what the medical uh, certificate says, not the conspiracies that are out there. You are living in the resurrected life with the resurrected story, uh, really new every single day, one day at a time. The secret is to bring everything to one day. If we think months and years, anxiety will creep in. But Jesus does not permit us to worry about 
beyond today. Let me just touch on uh, one of those symptoms uh, that actually does appear to grip people with a long COVID or anxiety about uh, rising cost of living, and that is the fact that they lose sleep. Uh, And uh, this may be very, very connected with what you're sharing here about having a resurrected life every day and not allowed to go to sleep with that insecurity and that anxiety. Uh, For some, they might be saying, well, I can't get these things out of my head. I can't get away from the fact that, you know, there's a letter of demand from the bank saying my mortgage is overdue. Uh, Some people are thinking, uh, I'm not able to get over this. But the sleep factor here the fatigue that people are feeling from long COVID and the fatigue of worry that comes with deepening economic times. Sleep here. What are your thoughts, Nathaniel? Isaiah 26.3 You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. I'll, I'll say that again. You keep him or her in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you or steadfast on you because he trusts in you. This is what I'm saying, the mind renewal. We need to keep our mind on thinking godly things and staying on him. And then when we trust in him. Um, Look, I don't want to take anything away from what people are going through. But I'll give you an example of something. Um, you know, Abraham was the father of our of faith. Um, and he had a simple faith when he left Ur. But when he sacrificed Isaac, his faith was no longer a simple faith even though he didn't sacrifice Isaac, but in his heart he probably did. He had a different kind of faith. So there are various levels of faith. It was a resurrection faith. And to be resurrected, you must die. He knew that God could bring Isaac from the dead. He didn't just believe that God will work it out and provide the lamb for the burnt offering. In Genesis 22, 8, it says, God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering, my son. He says that to Isaac. And they both walk together. But later on in Hebrews, we understand Abraham's true faith. It wasn't a normal faith or a simple faith. It was a resurrection faith, which is a massive difference. Hebrews eleven nineteen 19, it says, Abraham reasoned that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life again. And in a sense, Abraham did receive his son back from the dead. His faith was that God would resurrect Isaac. He thought he would have to kill his son, the promised son, and after that, God will resurrect him. That is faith that we need today, is resurrected, resurrecting faith. So why am I saying this? Because we are in this life, we, we hold on to, much, to life so much to the situation so much. But Jesus said, save your life and you lose it. Lose your life and you'll gain it for eternal life. This is six times in the gospel. This is the central theme of the gospel. We need to look at life in a resurrected faith. If it's only for this life, if everything has to do with all this life, we are to be pitied worse than the world.
We must have a faith which is beyond the circumstances. We must have a faith in the eternal God, in eternal solutions. And the more we lose ourselves, the more we gain ourselves. We lose ourselves depending on Christ. Lose your life, hate your life, you will win it. Every human being has this innate fight within for survival. Even for Christians, survival could become an idol. Jesus said, save your life and you lose it. And the reason why we feel anxious, stressed, and fearful, it's because we don't let go. Rest only comes when we let go. The greatest effort you'll ever make in this life is to trust in God, is to enter his rest, to allow God to be God. So living a resurrection life, uh, which is more of that Christian terminology that so many of us in church life come across from time to time. Uh, But if you're applying that, what I can hear you saying here, Nathaniel, and I think uh, deep words of wisdom, applying that resurrection life, uh, you know, uh, save your life and you'll lose it, lose your life and you'll gain it, having that trust in God that he will provide. So whether it's the mortgage payment or whether it's those, uh, even that sense of being able to face whatever challenge is coming, knowing that he will provide is a powerful factor. That's uh, no doubt connected to hope and uh, the expectation that we have that when God is on our side, he'll come through for us. So living resurrection life actually has these really wonderful, practical and powerful elements to it. That's right. Uh, it's, it's a daily thing again, Neil. Like we've got to come back to it every day. We've got to let go and let God. You know, we have, uh, you know, cliche, Christian cliche. But uh, it's very difficult to let go. We, we allow God, but to let go of, of something. See, if we, if we didn't have a choice, if you couldn't do anything, then you trust God. But because we can do so many things, those make us feel anxious and stressed. Because you say, oh, no, I can sort this out. I can do this. I can work this out. I can do these finances. I can become healthier. I can. And uh, I'm not saying be passively. Uh, and live, you know, without doing anything. All I'm saying is, you know, you have come to the knowledge of who God is. Uh, in 1 Peter one twenty one says, through Christ you have come to trust in God, and you've placed your faith and hope in God because he raised Christ from the dead. So that's why we placed our trust in God, because he raised Christ from the dead. If we die daily... We will live in that resurrected faith every day. We say, you know, I died with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. But this has to be a daily thing, which is very difficult for the Christian to to embrace because there's so many battles that they have to fight every day. And, uh, you know, sometimes we we are unwiser than the world. You know, there's a lot of non-Christians out there who don't worry as much as Christians. Worry is a big factor. Hey, listen, time is running short. I wish we had a whole lot longer, but I wonder, Nathaniel, if you've got a thought or two here, because if we have these extra tools in our tool chest as Christian believers, uh, our identity in Christ, uh, giving us that ability to be on the front foot, to overcome, uh, not to be a victim of the circumstances that we find ourselves in, even if we're feeling physically unwell because of the circumstances. 
if we're able to be on top of the challenges that are upon us, this creates opportunity, doesn't it, for God to minister through his people into our wider communities. Is this something that you might even consider hard times coming upon us that creates opportunity for the gospel? Is there potential for even revival and awakening in our communities when people recognize that the people of God handle these things on a different level than what, uh, than what they are? Absolutely. We, we shine brighter in darkness, of course. And let me tell you, the solution for every trouble in this world is Jesus Christ. And we have that solution. We are the ones who carry the answer to the world's problem. From politics to culture to education to every mountain of society, we carry the anointing to uh, rewire that to transform that, to renew that. And we shouldn't stand still. On the contrary, this is our greatest hour. This is our greatest opportunity. We should rise up to the opportunity that is out there because we have solutions. We can transform communities. We can transform groups of people. We can transform individuals because we carry the the anointing and the solutions that have always been there in Christ Jesus. And this is a, a call for the church to rise up. This is its best hour. Uh, you know, we got to teach people and we got to help people understand even this very simple concept that we are a three-part being, spirit, soul, and body. Most people think that there are only two parts. There's so many essential things. Uh, you know, we are, we are uh, spirit beings on a human journey, not human journey on a spiritual journey. We are spirit first. In First Thessalonians 5.23, the Apostle Paul says, Now may the God of peace... Make you holy in every way, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless until the Lord Jesus Christ again. You see the order there, spirit, soul, and body. And this is what the church needs to wake up to and see the opportunity. We are spirit first on a human journey. We have a mind, will, and emotions. That's the soul. And then we have the body. And in the soul, we got to immediately from the spirit, we got to work to the mind then to the will and the emotions. And we are encouraged that God has not left us alone in all of this and that it's not just just some sort of intellectual pursuit to think, uh, how do I think a little bit differently? Because God has promised to be with us always, even to the end of the age, his presence within, uh, a powerful, powerful concept. Uh, Look, a wonderful conversation. Uh, I want to point people to how you can connect directly with Dr. Nathaniel Costilla. He's a pastor, a strategist, a futurist, emotional intelligence coach. You can connect with him. Uh, He leads the Menorah Church in Perth. He has a website, nathanielcostilla.com. Now, that's spelled N-A-T-A-N-A-E-L. Costier is C-O-S-T-E-A dot com. He's written a number of books, but one to specially draw attention to is one that he wrote recently called 19 COVID Lessons the Church Cannot Ignore. And uh, you might want to get a hold of it, uh, either in a paperback or an e-book, an inexpensive way to get a hold of this book on an e-book, 19 COVID Lessons the Church Cannot Ignore. 
those other books, uh, 40 Years and 40 Days, and The Most Precious Gift, a book for those seeking a first encounter with God. So com is the website to connect with our special guest today. Nathaniel, uh, wonderful insights. I want to thank you so much for taking some time to share those with listeners on 2020 today. Absolute pleasure. Thank you, Neil. Just want to finish with one verse. Uh, hopefully this will help you out there. Romans 8, 6 in the NIV. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit, that is the Spirit of God, is life and peace. So just try and allow your mind to be governed by the Spirit of God because that will bring life and peace in every circumstance or, or challenges that you go through in life. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.